Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? So thankful that you're tuning into another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here, as always, and I am thrilled to be with you, and I cannot wait to get into the topic at hand on today's podcast. This is podcast 88, and the title is Jesus's Triumphal Entry into Jerusalem. That's right, this is Palm Sunday. So if you've missed any previous podcast, as always, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. All the archives are there for you with our study notes. And I just wanna say a shout out to people who have been sending in comments, who have been sending us emails, thanking us for what this podcast is doing in your life. I love, absolutely love hearing that. I love the time that I have to study, to prepare for this, knowing that we are reaching the world literally with the gospel of Jesus Christ and just thrilled also as the podcast continues to grow internationally, how many of you are taking uh, the podcast in the notes and you're using it in your church groups, getting people to learn more about Jesus because I remember going back a few years ago when I started to actually study chronologically the life of Jesus through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just sharing that with my friends, even people in full-time ministry, pastors and, and writers and speakers. And a lot of them, quite frankly, told me they have never really taken the time to learn uh, and in the chronological order of Jesus's ministry. And they said, man, just let us know when that starts coming out. So fast forward now, podcast 88 today, and we're, you know, we're almost there. We're almost through the life of Jesus, hard to believe. And right now, currently in my devotion life, I'm just finishing up the upper room. So I can't wait to even explore those teachings with you when that time comes. So just want you guys to know, as I pray, as I prepare, plan, and we put these things together, that we are just considering uh, where you're at in life, in your relationships with other people, the ministry that God has called you to do the mandates that we have as followers of Jesus Christ and want you to know that we pray for this time and we pray that it will be an enriching time for you. So if you have any prayer requests, if if God has called you to do a specific thing in life and you're nervous or you're scared or you're worried, man, drop us a note. Let us know what you're going through in life, how we can pray for you or, or even how this podcast has ministered to you, maybe through a difficult time, info at standstrongministries.org. You can always find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jason P. Jimenez, or you can go to Stand Strong Ministries page, like us there, and also share this podcast to other people. We greatly appreciate that. So with that being said, we're not gonna be looking at Matthew 21, one through 11, Mark 11, one through 11, Luke 19, 29 through 44, and John 12, 12 through 19, and getting insight into the, this one big narrative of how Palm Sunday unfolded in the gospel accounts. So in John 12, verse 12, it says, the next day, that is Palm Sunday, the large crowd, which again, consists of common people that have been going into Jerusalem that Jesus had been traveling with his disciples, 
And John writes here that they had come to the feast and they heard, meaning it was a word of mouth, so things were spreading, that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember in the previous podcast, they were waiting for Jesus to be there. And remember, at that particular time before Palm Sunday, people were offering certain sacrifices and cleansings before Passover, and they're anticipating Jesus coming there to be part of the cleansing. So now Jesus arrives here on Palm Sunday and thousands of Jews flooded the streets in anticipation of his arrival. Now the crowds, remember, they consisted of Galilean Jews, according to John 12, verse 18, local Jews who had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus in John 12, verse 17, and also the religious leaders in John chapter 12, verse 19. Now, one commentator says, quote, the Lord's day or Sunday, according to John 12, verse one, the 10th day of the Jewish month in Nisan, on which the Pascal lamb was set apart to be kept up until the 14th day of the same month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel were to kill it in the evening, Exodus 12, verse three, and also verse six. Even so, from the day of this solemn entry into Jerusalem, Christ our Passover, was virtually set apart to be sacrificed for us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, end quote. Now, Matthew 21, 1 through 6 says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came into Bethphage, which literally means the house of the unripe young figs near Bethany, towards Mount of Olives, which is across from the Kidron Valley, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord needs them, and will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a colt, and a donkey, the fall of a beast of burden." Now, this action of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was a prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah, according to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and also Isaiah 62, verse 11. It was a proclamation that Jesus is the righteous Davidic Messiah. This phrase, daughter of Zion, is a reference to the inhabitants of Israel, according to Psalm 9, verse 14, and Isaiah 1, verse 8. So now, when you put it yourself in the setting, and understand the text, during the Passover, remember, there was hopes of redemption and one of deliverance with the Jews, not just looking back in the past of how God delivered his people, but it was also amplified of the anticipation of the Messiah coming to deliver them, not just from the Roman oppression, but establishing his kingdom among his people. However, the king mentioned in Zechariah isn't riding on a horse, not depicting a warrior or conqueror, if you notice, but rather one on a donkey, which depicts peace and humility. So remember, they're still anticipating Jesus coming almost like on a horse and he's going to establish his kingdom. This is it. He's coming back into Jerusalem. He's in a clean house. But instead he tells two of his disciples to go find a donkey and you're going to see it uh, tied up with a colt with her. That, again, is a symbol of the peace and humility that he's going to come as a bondservant. He's going to lay down his life for us. Now, verse 6 says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Mark 11, beginning in verse 4 and also through verse 6 says, And they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there, Luke 19, verse 33, says, The owners said to them, 
what are you doing untying the colt? Mark 11 verse 6 says, and they told them what Jesus had said. Luke 19 34 says, the Lord has need of it. And they let them go. So the disciples had fulfilled many tasks. If you go back these three plus years, they did many things for the Lord. Now this one, however, probably seemed odd considering the setting. And yet the disciples, once again, they obeyed their master and they witnessed another miracle just as Jesus foretold. So when you go back to what Jesus had said, if anyone says anything to you, you say the Lord needs them and they will give it to you basically. That points to Jesus' divine foreknowledge. He knew the future. And when they did that in obedience, they witnessed once again that Jesus even knows the future. Now Mark 11 verse 7 and 8 says, and they brought, Matthew 21 verse 7, the donkey and the colt, back to Mark 11, to Jesus and threw their cloaks, literally their outer garments on it, and he sat on it, meaning the cult, and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches. John 12 verse 13 says, from palm trees that they had cut from the fields. So they're laying down in waving palm branches in the air. And you're thinking, well, why were they doing this when Jesus enters into Jerusalem? Well, it was a celebratory act of victory. But again, remember, Jesus is a poor peasant. He is, in their mind, an uneducated rabbi who has disciples who no one knows and no one cares about. There's a tie with John the Baptist, but he was beheaded. So what is the significance of this Jesus? And not to mention, he comes riding on a donkey, not a horse. So when you look at this gesture, when you look at the celebratory act that these people were doing with these palm branches, this was a common practice during the Feast of Tabernacles, not of what? Passover. They were not going to be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They were celebrating Passover. However, the crowd that was mixed with different extended disciples, they thought Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to deliver them from the oppressive Romans. So their gesture was demonstrating not just their allegiance to Christ, but anticipating the victory to come in Jerusalem. They thought somehow, some way, Jesus was going to come and he was going to establish himself king and defeat their enemies. Now, Luke 19, verse 37 says, As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, Matthew 21, verse 9, and Mark 11, verse 9, note that the crowds that went before him and that followed him, back to Luke 19, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Literally in Greek, they kept shouting things here in scripture about the mighty works that they had seen. So they're basically shouting things that they have witnessed Jesus do as he's entering into Jerusalem, coming down from the Mount of Olives. And this crowd, by the way, remember, even before he goes into Bethany, this pilgrimage of, of Jewish people, these common people coming from all the surrounding parts going into Jerusalem, they had been with Jesus and his disciples for the past few days. And when they, when they did this pilgrimage, remember, along the way, they're singing psalms. And then you take the palm branches and the celebratory significance this has of victory to come. It makes sense as to how they're rejoicing and what they're praising him about. So when you look at Mark 11 and verse 9 through 10, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. Now remember, Hosanna is a transliteration of a Hebrew word that means give salvation now. Okay, let's pause for a moment. 
Here's what's significant. A lot of times, and again, it's depicted in Sunday school class where you put the palm branches down, but they never show the outer garments being laid down. So that's happening simultaneously. Jesus is coming. The pilgrimage of people, his extended disciples through the past few years are all gathering together. Remember the, the reports going out, not just from the bad people trying to arrest him and kill him and they're looking for Lazarus, but his, his disciples themselves, they're just anticipating what's about to take place. And so you can tell they're flocking there. You ever been to like a big game, a big thing, especially like a Super Bowl Sunday and you get the big crowd together. It just, it's, it's more significant than just any other game. And this Passover, though it is a meaningful feast uh, to the Jewish people, this one even more so with the followers of Jesus. So you can sense when you read these words, my friends, the power and the significance. But when they're shouting Hosanna, this again is far more than just the victory to come of defeating the Romans, if you will. This is about salvation now. This is save us entirely from the wickedness in this world. All the feasts that they do in remembrance of God, all the promises that they have in the Jewish scriptures, they're wanting this to be fulfilled in Jesus right here, right now. This praise proclaimed by the Jews comes from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, which is a messianic designation only. A familiar psalm from the Hallels, from Psalm 113 to 118, that every Jew would know. Every one of them would sing every morning outside the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, during the Feast of Dedication, and the Passover. So the Jews, in essence, they were shouting this, Save us now, we pray, save us. Isn't that powerful? So now in Luke 19, verses 39 through 40, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke, literally punish with a strong disapproval of what your disciples are doing. And Jesus answers them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, according to the Pharisees, this procession of praise to Jesus was blasphemy. They urged Jesus to punish the crowd and his disciples because they were making blasphemous remarks as they worshiped Jesus. So remember, there were instances throughout the Gospels where Jesus healed someone and they would worship him. But here now, on Palm Sunday, there's a massive crowd of people. We don't know the number but a massive crowd of, of people who are worshiping him and shouting and using the halal in reference to Jesus. Now, this phrase here that Jesus says, the stones would cry out, is an acknowledgement on Jesus's part saying that he is worthy of this worship. And he's alluding to Habakkuk chapter two, verse 11. One commentary writes, all history had pointed toward this single spectacular event when the Messiah publicly presented himself to the nation and God desired that this fact be acknowledged. That is the power of this moment. All of its bearing witness from what the prophets have said beforehand to this very point. Luke 19, 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
So as the crowd shouted Hosanna, as they shouted in exaltation, what was Jesus doing? He was weeping over the people. Now, what's also significant, and you have to bear this in mind as you're looking through this account, it's always going back to the prophets. So even Jesus weeping over the city, that's reflective of Jeremiah, the prophet. Now, Jesus knew many would turn against him. You go back to Luke 23, verse 21. And that Jerusalem would one day face destruction as you go to the Olivet Discourse, as he prophesied that that will come. Remember in AD 70, it will. The Romans will come in there and they'll destroy the city. They'll destroy the temple. And on two other occasions, when you go back to scripture, remember Jesus wept over Jerusalem in Luke 13, verse 34, Matthew 23, verse 37. So there were several times when Jesus, as he is in Jerusalem or he's about to leave Jerusalem, he weeps over them. Now, this phrase, had known on this day, this is another significant reference that goes back to probably one of the most profound prophetic utterances that are recorded for us, and it is in the book of Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. There is a prophetic timetable of 490 years that was given to Israel. And the countdown began when the restoration of the temple began on March 5th, 444 BC. Now you say, well, why is, why is that significant? Well, what happened was the Persian king, Artaxerxes, remember he permitted who? Nehemiah. So now we're looking at another Old Testament book. Nehemiah and his people were, were granted permission by the Persian king Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple. Now, the first fulfillment would be the arrival of the anointed one when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 483 years from that decree, he would come in on a donkey into Jerusalem. Now, I want to read for you what Mark Hitchcock in his The Complete Book of Bible Prophecy has to say about the significance of this prophecy. He writes, from the time the countdown began until the coming of Messiah, the anointed one, will be 69 sets of seven, that's seven plus 62, or 483 years. This exact period of time, which is 173,880 days, is the precise number of days that elapsed from March 5th, 444 BC, until March 30th, AD 33, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem from the triumphal entry, end quote. So you see the precision, the exactness. You talk about all the prophecies that Jesus had fulfilled in his first advent. This, my friends, is so precise. The exact date. Now, some people do debate whether it was you know March 5th, 444 BC or to March 30th, 80, 33. Maybe it's a few days off. But we know 173,880 days from when Nehemiah was given the edict that they can start rebuilding the temple. It would be 483 years from that point to when Jesus, the Messiah, would come into Jerusalem and he would be the ultimate sacrifice given for the people of Israel and for the world. Now back to Luke 19, verse 43, where it says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade, meaning a siege wall around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Verse 44 and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
Now, the details of this invasion, this would come by the hands of Titus, as I was mentioning earlier, in AD 70. So Jesus is prophesying now of things to come as he's fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel and Nehemiah. Now, here's what's interesting, because when you look at the account of what Jesus gives here, you can kind of be dismissive or just breeze past it and not look at history to actually see what Jesus was saying because he gives great detail with what the Romans are going to do in AD 70, and that's precisely what they did. When you look at the invasion in AD 70, what the Romans did was they did surround the city of Jerusalem. Then what they did was they cut off their water supply so that Jews would slowly die of dehydration. And after a period of time, matter of fact, it was several months later, then it was the Romans who invaded Jerusalem and brutally murdered hundreds of thousands of Jews. Most of the survivors became slaves or were used in gladiatorial games. I mean, so when you think about the atrocity to come, it puts things in perspective. And that's why in, in one sense, Jesus was weeping. He was weeping right then and there because he was about to give up his life and the current Jews, the current status of the people of Israel were rejecting him, even though you had a remnant of all these people who were crying out Hosanna. And we do know that some of them, not even a week later, were wanting Jesus to be crucified. So Jesus, it's an understatement to say that he was very emotional about this. So when he says here, the time of your visitation, he's saying that the judgment will fall upon you Jews decades later because you rejected me right here and right now. That is very, very sad. Mark 11, verse 11, and Jesus then enters Jerusalem and he goes into the temple. In the Greek, it's Haran, the temple precincts. And when he had looked around, literally he surveyed, he inspected in a judicial way. So he's judging what he's witnessing. And he looks around at everything. And as it was already getting late, meaning it was after sunset, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So after arriving into Jerusalem, Jesus went into the temple premises, not the sanctuary, because that's what it says in the Greek here. And he inspects the condition of the temple. Again, we have to pause because right here in Mark 11, verse 11 is another prophetic incident. This is a prophetic gesture that's found in Malachi. Now, we know what Jesus is going to do the next day. He's going to drive out the money changers, Mark 11, 15 through 17. But when Jesus was inspecting the outer courts, if you will, when he's in the precincts of the temple on the premises, not the sanctuary, but he's inspecting the condition of the temple. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like father's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord, end quote. This is anticipating the ultimate refining that Jesus will have on his earth. And that will affect every one of us, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, not just the temple, but the world. And so when Jesus comes 
into the outer courts of the temple and he is judiciously, if you will, serving and inspecting what he's seeing. And he comes and he cleanses uh, a portion of the temple and then he becomes the Passover lamb. That's the first advent. And so Malachi is referring to the first part, but also mentions his return when he will judge everything. Now, Matthew 21, 10 through 11, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So this verse or these verses here in Matthew 21, 10 through 11, they indicate that there were still many Jews, obviously, who had no idea who Jesus was. But many of the Galileans, notice how they responded by telling the people that this is Jesus. He's a prophet. He's mentioned by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Yet not many realize the prophetic fulfillment when you look at Daniel chapter 9, 25 or of Malachi 3, verse 1. So again, I think this is insightful because to some degree we see Jews, many of course are illiterate, but many also educated, but not all of them knew the messianic prophecies. They knew some, but not all of them. And so here in John 12, 16 through 19, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. I like this, and John often did this, right? When he looks back and provides commentary while he's giving the accounts of Jesus and his teaching, he mentions that there was a lack of understanding that even then the disciples had of the prophetic significance of Jesus when he came into Jerusalem at that time on a donkey. And verse 17 says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the message of resurrection was spreading throughout the city. And again, that was one of the most powerful signs that Jesus had done, the rising Lazarus from the dead. And so people were coming again, probably in the thousands and anticipating what was going to happen on Passover. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I mean, the irony of this whole thing is no matter what the Pharisees, what no matter what the Sanhedrin trying to do to try to arrest Jesus, to have uh, uh, he and Lazarus arrested or murdered, it just got worse. It just seemed to become an impossible task. And the more that they tried to turn down the people and shut them up and tell Jesus to punish the crowds, the more they were praising him and calling him the prophet, calling him the Messiah. So there you have it, my friends. That is Palm Sunday in a nutshell. So hopefully you got to see some greater insight in the text. And the takeaway for me, and I hope it is for you, was Jesus is the Messiah. You cannot write about this in a fictitious way. Jesus was not only a historical individual who will come back one day, but when you look at all these prophets that we looked at, he was fulfilling them on Palm Sunday. So I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friend. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.